Hey everyone, I'm Turtle, and thanks for joining us today. On this episode, our conversation surrounds the idea of biocultural restoration. This is a new field of study that's emerged from ecological restoration as an attempt to address and integrate a cultural context into the application of this area of ecology. We start off by sharing our experiences with learning about this field, some of the lessons we learned from the classes we took in our master's program, and also some of the drawbacks of ecological restoration as it's practiced now. And then we transition to an overview of some of the main definitions like biocultural restoration, reciprocal restoration, and biocultural diversity. We touch on ideas like knowledge integration and the power of bringing different worldviews together. We also go over a workshop that we did to do just that, integrate knowledge and bring worldviews together to create new ways of seeing that will hopefully be able to more accurately represent these really diverse systems and be more capable of addressing really complex issues like climate change. This is a really good episode and I really had a lot of fun putting it together, so enjoy! Welcome to the Indian Science Show. I'm Turtle. And I'm Annie. And this is a podcast where we bring indigenous worldviews and Western worldviews into conversations about science in Indian country and also the rest of the world. But we always want to be clear that we're not the experts and we don't have all of the answers, but we can definitely ask a lot of the questions. And one of the questions we wanted to explore today is this idea of biocultural restoration and how that kind of relates to ecological restoration and our experience over the last year learning about this in graduate school. So to start this off, um, Annie's just going to explain a bit about where we began with the courses that we took. Over the last year in grad school, we definitely have had a lot of interesting classes, I would say. Yeah. And um, one of the first classes that we had to take was biocultural restoration. And I had kind of somewhat known about what that meant, but really, but coming from like a really like hard science, we really didn't focus on that. And coming from Haskell, everyone's just kind of assumes that you're going to have this like really good notion of how to interact with both your cultural side and your science side. But I feel Mm -hmm. like at Haskell, it was kind of the opposite. We focused a lot on more hard science and and getting those results that you needed. So coming to this class, I really was kind of blank slate. Didn't really know like the hard fundamentals of it. And, and so learning that was definitely something. And so I'm glad that we're going to talk about it today. So everyone can kind of get a little bit of understanding about what we learned. And one of the things that I think I took out of that class the most was really having everyone having a seat at the table Hmm. and how important that is that when you are doing a restoration project or you're doing any kind of project that everyone is included. And I feel like it's not something that is really thought about. You have your ecologists and you have your biologists and you have all these people, but you don't think about like the community that this restoration effort is affecting. And I feel like biocultural biocultural restoration is in itself this idea of combining everybody's point of view and how can you make that restoration effort the best that it can be. Hmm. 
That's interesting that, um, where did you first hear about it? Did you hear about it at Haskell or was it in your research or the projects you did? Yeah. So it was at Haskell a little bit. I had taken a class with Dan Wildcat. Oh, and and he talked about that. that Like he talked a little about about it a little bit. It Mm. wasn't extensive. Um, a lot of my classes were the regular undergrad classes that you had to take in, like aquatic biology and, Mm. you know, all these like hard classes where, it seems really hard to insert a cultural side to that. And I think that's what I kind of struggled with a lot was now that we're doing our research, we can include our cultural side because we are the ones that are designing our research. We're designing how we're going to do our project. Mm. But when you are in a, in a class that has set guidelines that they need to follow and set curriculums that they have to follow – I feel like you don't have the option to actually include a more cultural side to it. And it's not a bad thing. It's just now that we are are in our graduate program and we're now able to design a program, I feel like I understand it a lot more. And I don't know if that's just because we have more like leeway on what we want to do versus the set curriculum that you have to follow at a four-year school Hmm, yeah i really feel like that has a lot to do with identity too because there's um a certain level of knowledge that we can get but to really really learn something and to really truly grasp it at at a deep level to where it's in your cells type Mm -hmm. of thing that requires not just learning but it requires time that is spent with that thing and then also some kind of grounding in your own identity. Mm-hmm. And what better way to do that than culture, right? Yeah. And I really agree with you that um, that's really the main component missing from a lot of the ecological restoration projects that have dominated the scene here, at least here in the United States and probably in a lot of other col- colonized countries. But um, here in the States, it's just been that, like that, paper that we read Mm -hmm. from hildebrand about the myths like carbon copy and the uh what is that the um oedipus or is it the oedipus complex just a quick note it's not actually the oedipus complex the oedipus complex is a desire for sexual involvement with a parent and i believe the story is about where this god had sex with his mother and then uh, he found out about it and then decided he's going to gouge his eyes out. So it has nothing to do with ecological restoration. And the Oedipus complex is something developed by Sigmund Freud back in the 19th century. The complex I was actually referring to is called the Sisyphus complex. And this is specifically a story, an ancient Greek story about a god that was punished by being forced to roll a large stone up a hill basically for all eternity. And every time he got to the top, it'd roll back down and you have to do it all over again. And so the idea is that some of these ecological restoration projects are constantly trying to roll the proverbial stone up a hill by using methods that are trying to control a system that just cannot be controlled because of its very nature like these super complex open-ended systems that ecosystems are. 
So I just wanted to do a quick note on that and correct that before we jump back into the show. Oh, yeah, I think it is. That, yeah. that command and conquer thing mm-hmm. where people are all, it's like that idea of basically trying to control an inherently uncontrollable system. Mm-hmm. And it's like rolling a rock uphill. And that right. was that old Greek story of that that one god that got punished to doing that <laughs> for all of eternity. But that's like the answer, though, in a lot of ways is to include the culture. So then the people will be involved. Mm-hmm. And just to kind of clarify, a carbon copy in a restoration effort is trying to make it back to exactly the way it was at a previous point in time. Yeah. Like assuming that yeah. you can just take one system and bring it to another system and it's going to work. Which we have known. That's probably not the case at this point. Hmm. I feel like, and I think Colin talks about that a lot. And and we had an exam where it, they talked about the, the carbon copy. And I think that was probably my favorite question and I didn't do very well on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, I mean, like, that's, it's true when you're looking at a restoration effort. I, I worked a lot at, at Haskell at a wet, wetlands project and in, in highway construction. And we never looked at it as trying to turn it back. So what had happened was, is they wanted to build a traffic way that cut, cut across Lawrence so you didn't have to go through town. So they were going to build this traffic way. It was called the um, South Lawrence Traffic Way. And there was this road, 31st Street. And so they were going to move 31st Street farther back. So Haskell ended up having more room on their wetlands. And so the idea was once um, Kansas Department of Transportation, once they took apart the road, Haskell can do what they want with that part of the the wetland hmm. and it was never looking at what had happened what was the previous state before the road was built it was how can we include native plants into this restoration oh okay and it was really cool i i left before really any of it could be finished because i i started that on the very first year and it was, ended up being a five-year study and so i i only was there for the first year but just seeing how people wanted to be back to the way it was. But I feel like over time, like you said, you learn more, you understand more and things change and you really can't go back to the way you were. And so that's like the, the, this myth of a carbon copy. Yeah. And I think that really plays into some of these foundational definitions that were published in the nineties about ecological restoration, because although it's, a pretty old concept. I mean, just in principle, the actual practice of it and the science of it didn't really take off until the 90s, even though it was a concern in the 70s and during the environmental movement and stuff. Um, the 80s, was there was almost like a break because of Reaganomics and other political and social, uh, kind of social factors. But one of the first papers that came out that took a lot of these definitions and kind of compiled them was by... Uh, Carnes and Heckman in 1996, and th- um, they grouped it in these into these two main categories of being goal oriented or process oriented, meaning like a project that's trying to restore an ecosystem can be goal oriented in that um, it returns an ecosystem to a close approximation of its condition prior to a disturbance 
And then it can be process-oriented, where the process of repairing damage caused by humans to the diversity and dynamics of indigenous systems is the point of the restoration. So, I mean, these are kind of wordy, and the but what I guess the, how I see that relating to the carbon copy is that n- neither of these definitions talks about where humans like restoring the human component of that ecosystem Mm -hmm. the only reference to that at all is the second one the process oriented where they but it's not humans being a part of the ongoing repair and maintenance of the system more that uh we're repairing the humans that were uh the uh, damage that was caused by humans yeah, because like that's what it says is even in the the useful fa- focus of the process oriented is it uh it emphasizes the role of community action and restoration and then it also recognizes limits of restoration in light of further disturbance. So like to me that just seems like they're trying to cover their tracks for a restoration effort or a restoration project that had been that's needed because of human disturbance. Hmm. Yeah. And since we're on this uh, subject of looking at the definitions, that that's the those are kind of the um, more basic definitions of ecological restoration, and they're a little bit outdated. But I wanted to look at this paper because it's um, one of the earlier papers that was compiling the various definitions that were floating around in the literature at the time. And there's another really good source of de- the definitions. It's a textbook. By, I always get the name wrong. It's like Galatowitz yeah. or something like that. But we'll go ahead and post that in the show notes if you guys want to do any further reading about ecological restoration and kind of the science of it and where it's at today. And this next definition that I wanted to bring up is actually even older. And it's the one we already talked about, biocultural restoration. And uh, you want to read that for us, Annie? Yeah, so the definition is pretty much the goal of biocultural restoration is to give back to the people the understanding of the natural history around them that their grandparents had. Hmm. And that was from Jansen in 1988, which is an author out of Africa, actually. Hmm. Yeah, and I'm just like looking at this definition and and I don't know if I had missed that definition during class. It wasn't in class. This okay. is one that I found for my own my yeah. own writing and my own research. Um so our, I guess I could I should start out with this is the class that we had taken it was pretty much kind of a starting off class, right? Yeah, like, like an introduction like an course. introduction class. Like we as students provided feedback to the teachers on how we thought biocultural restoration was. So it was really like kind of like an interactive class as well Mm -hmm. because they were learning. We had five teachers um, that taught the class. Each one kind of had a different point that they wanted to make during um, the, the, the two days during the week. And then, so it was, it was interesting that we were learning as well as the professors were learning on like, how, how do you incorporate biocultural restoration? Because like you said earlier, it is something that is somewhat kind of new. And, and while this one was in 88 and if that, that's still what 30 years. Yeah. That's exactly 30 years. years. Well, 40 years, no, 30 years. Yeah. Obviously I can't do math, but (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, I was born in 86, so it's kind of, oh, it's a okay. no-brainer for me. So I mean, I, I guess that makes sense. I have a sister who was born in 80, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't put two and two together, my bad. And um, so, I mean, it's it's something that we are learning ourselves, and so I'm sorry if we kind of get confusing. Yeah, a lot of these concepts are confusing, and I think one major reason for that is because of the in just the really deep interdisciplinary nature of it mm-hmm. and how we got to draw on a lot of different concepts from sciences that traditionally haven't really interacted with each other that much. Yeah. And I think like, that's a good point to bring up is, is this um, reciprocal restoration yeah. and then like really how, how that is, is very new and how that, that in itself is, is amazing. And, and I'll let you read that, but that's that, that's a good definition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's from 2011 from Robin Kimmerer. A paper she published had this definition in it, and she kind of she, what she did is she brought together again similar to Kearns and Heckman. She brought together the existing definitions and what people had used and related it to ecological restoration. And the way she defined a reciprocal restoration as the mutually reinforcing restoration of land and culture such that the repair of ecosystem services contributes to cultural revitalization and renewal of culture promotes restoration of ecological integrity. And like I said, this is pretty recent, it's 2011. And again, it's really... It's another way of phrasing that need to balance Mm -hmm. the practice of maintaining and restoring ecosystems with the cultural practices that actually are responsible for those ecosystems in the first place. Yeah, and it's not even cultural practices that are just tied to native traditions, but it's also the cultural practice of of a town or Mm -hmm. of a community of its whole Anywhere is an ecosystem, mm-hmm. if you think about it. Yep. Even a city. And I think that we forget about that. I think we forget, like, when we hear this, this bi- I know that I had my biases when I came in to biocultural restoration. I was like, oh, it just has to be native. And then, like, we continue to learn, and the farmers can do it, communities can do it, towns can do it, um, wilderness areas can do it. I know that Liz talks about... Um, the Adirondacks and how mm-hmm. how she works with that that whole community, which is a large, vast wilderness, and and really kind of like understanding. And I think that is good for this biocultural diversity, um, which is a, even a more recent one. From um, so 2014, Maffey came up with this definition for biocultural diversity, um, and that's the interlinked diversity of life and nature and culture. And integrated whole formed by biodiversity, cultural diversity, and linguistic diversity. Yeah. And yeah, each one of these definitions, even the ecological restoration definition, talks about the human component, especially the cultural component of these restorations. And I think the major difference between the more Western versions and the more just kind of utilitarian ecological restoration definition and these other ones like biocultural reciprocal is that these other ones acknowledge the landscape more like a partner mm-hmm. than a thing 
and that this partner is equal in this relationship and it's a back and forth to where both parties are going to benefit from the situation. So that, that uh, whereas the more traditional definitions are more one way, so it's a more linear approach where there's a problem to be solved or an ecosystem to be fixed. And then once that's accomplished and certain goals have been achieved, then the project's over. It's not really looked at as a continuum, mm-hmm. which I think it has to be. Yeah, and I think that throughout this this program, I've learned a lot about how important a restoration effort is in how it interacts with the community itself. Because the restoration project, while it has a lot of people in the beginning, the only way that the project can actually continue to thrive and continue to work is is through a community engagement and this constant work that the community will do for future for the future and in the future in itself. Mm -hmm. Um, These scientists aren't going to come back. They're not going to keep checking on it. Like it's up to the community itself. And I think that starts from the the beginning and in this idea of biocultural restoration, I'm going to have a hard time saying that word. Yeah. And, and how that in itself starts with the community. Yeah. And it ends with the community and in the continual process of just making sure that this restoration is what the community needs because if it's not what they need, they're not going to continue to work for it. Work for it. They're not going to continue to make it this this viable piece of restoration. Yeah. Yeah, and that that gets me thinking about the way the class started. And the very first class we we just sat around and shared our story basically, mm-hmm. a, a story that was re- re- relating like landscapes, right? Like our connection to land somehow. Was that it? And we kind of came up or was it we just shared us just one of our own stories? I, I think we just sat there and shared a story. I think we did. We've we've done that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and so I feel like they're kind of blurring together. And I'm trying to remember the very, very first one. But I remember it. And I remember I talked about Haskell. So I'm trying to think of what that question was I, as far as i know i think it was just oh about uh different ways of no- like an um different ways of knowing like our experience with like traditional ways of knowing or traditional knowledge okay that and, makes sense um, i remember the story i told was about uh this elder that i know told me that he was hanging out with this lady, this um, this white lady one time, and I can't remember what she was there for, but they were hanging out by this fence, and he was kind of just explaining some things, and they were talking, and this hawk came and flew up and landed right next to him on a fence post and just sat there. And she got all excited and got really quiet and started asking, oh, my God, what, what does this mean? What does that mean? Is this a sign? And, and then he looked at her and kind of grinned a little bit and <laughs> said, He's probably just tired. <laughs> I remember that story now. Yeah. And uh, and then we had to draw a picture of it at one point, like representing our story. Oh, okay. I'm such a bad drawer. I know. Mine Mine was like a really poorly drawn comic <laughs> oh, strip yeah, type thing. Oh, yeah. It was those whiteboards yeah. that were scattered across the classroom. And that was really hard, too, to actually visualize some of these ideas that we were having. Mm-hmm. That was pretty tough. Odom diagrams. Mm. kicked my butt mm-hmm. i still still don't understand them yeah i think uh, the kind of the main point i got out of this was that 
unless we're engaging in different ways of knowing, we're never really going to fully understand stuff. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be a really narrow understanding and a limited understanding of what we actually are experiencing. And that I think really played a lot into the second class we took, which was, well, it was a integration of traditional knowledge systems. Yeah. But we all, the funny part is we all had a kind of a different name we were calling it. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I ever called it the right name. I think I just call it integrated systems. I think that's yeah. what I like. I shortened it down to, to this, to just that. And then when I was trying to fill out my, my forms, I had forgotten the, the name completely. I had to and look it so up. I had to look it yeah. back up. Yeah. I was calling it indigenous or integration of indigenous knowledge. Yeah. And I think we ended up actually in our group text calling it BCR2, even though that's, that wasn't the name of it. Yeah. Or knowledge integration. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was really interesting. And that class went so much differently than that first class. It did. And that just goes to show how much the, Faculty is really into the the principles mm-hmm. of biocultural restoration and how much they actually care about it. And um, I think that says a lot about somebody to be able to work with other people or I, how they work with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like we had for the first for, – for, for, for biocultural restoration, we had five teachers. And then for um, integrated traditional knowledge systems, we had four teachers mm-hmm. and – Two are native and then the rest are non-native members. And even the non-natives, like they're just so helpful in whatever ways that they can because they've they've all worked with indigenous communities. So they have knowledge of of how it should work in in the processes and, and really kind of an outside opinion on how to work with indigenous communities when you're not an insider in that community. Mm. And really like kind of like that outsider approach and and um yeah those teachers i think when you have good teachers that want to help you succeed it's amazing what you can learn mm-hmm. and uh i i wanted to be a teacher but i think after my my gen bio ta i don't think i want to be a teacher anymore oh man at a huge <laughs> institution where you got hundreds of students yeah we had like oh, 350 it's, it's a rough it's a rough career to path to take for sure yeah so teachers you got a lot of respect for them yeah i do i have so much respect for teachers and it's hard and that uh i think that was probably one of my main challenges with the both of the courses was stepping out of my own worldview to engage with another person. Mm -hmm. And that from both classes, even, I mean, from even the entire year, I think this is maybe even the most primary principle that I learned is that that's what, how I see what I see myself getting out of this program is being able to work with other people and bring people together in a way that respects the sovereignty of their worldviews while simultaneously creates a space mm-hmm. that allows them to come together to share tools with each other and work yeah. together to build other ways of knowing and other ways of seeing that to be able to address these really, really complex issues like some of the ones we're addressing with our research, but even at a much bigger scale like climate change. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I think one of the the things that I've learned the most out of this class, well, I don't know about the most, but the most fascinating thing that I have learned was when I did my research on the California black oak. Mm. And really how they are fighting both both tribes, multiple tribes over in that area, which is um, Northern California and a little bit into Oregon and how multiple tribes are working together. And then they have the federal agencies working together. They have um, fish and wildlife working. They have state agencies working together and like really kind of like restoring and making sure that the California black oak doesn't, doesn't disappear because they have a limited amount of population and then there's there's factors and wildfires that are dwindling the numbers and acorns are extremely important to these tribes and and so when i read that case study i was so amazed that it can happen because you really don't hear a lot of projects where they do include everyone and this is one of the few that i found and Mm -hmm. and um I'm sure I'll I'll talk more about it later on, but it kind of gave me hope that we can work together and like everyone can have a voice because being from Montana, it's very one sided. You very red state, very money driven, very oh yeah, lots of cattle, lots of lots cattle, of farming, oil, and so you don't really think about. The future a lot. A lot of the time, uh, that's what I think about Montana is you don't really think about the future. You think about the money that you need to make for your family. Yeah, because a lot of the farmers and uh, cattle owners and ranchers, they, I know some do live off of what they raise, but Mm -hmm. more often than not, the way they're living off of it is by selling it. Mm -hmm. So it's really a money driven, profit driven an industry type of situation versus a livelihood mm-hmm. but it's a it's still a part of their identity and it's it a is. huge part of their worldview and so they they definitely think about the future but over the last 50 to 100 years or so i'd say that worldview has shifted more and more in favor of just purely property-based ownership uh profit-driven type of worldview mm-hmm. but like i said not everybody be, um that's one of the cool things i got to do as an undergraduate was working on the Northern Divide Grizzly Bear DNA project where we were using non-invasive methods of just getting hair Mm -hmm. from where they naturally rub on trees and stuff. And then we'd analyze the DNA and figure out all sorts of cool things like using, I never learned the statistics they were using, but they can figure out like population trends between male and female and follow individuals across the landscape and map genetic flow. It's, it's so cool. And one of the main things that I learned was how to interact with other people. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and I worked on the Eastern front of the Rocky mountains oh, and nice. to go and do it. I had to contact all these landowners right. out there and they're mostly ranchers. And some of them are so interesting. <laughs> I mean, holy crap. Some of the people I met uh, were really, really cool. And they had so much respect for the wolves and the bears. And, and they really understood that they were part of an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And then other ones, they did not want me there. Not yeah. at all. And they were really upset to find out that they had sites set up on their property and mm-hmm. they didn't even know about it. So like previous people that had been on the project, I guess, didn't do didn't. quite so good of a job, but it's really hard. It is. I don't blame them. I mean, it's really, really hard to interact with people you have no clue about, especially when we're not trained to do that as mm-hmm. scientists. And yeah. that's the cool thing I see about this program is that's what we're really challenged to do. 
Yeah, we focus a lot on social science. Yeah. And really, how do you properly interview someone or how do you interact with someone who maybe doesn't have the same intention that on a project that you have hmm, yeah. and like really how do you have a voice when there are so many other voices oh and that that's a great way to wrap up the show i think mm-hmm. is the, in a lot of ways that's how this whole year culminated and with our coursework is we had to do this workshop about knowledge integration or bringing worldviews together and we called it uh was it indigenous and western science yeah and then in like how to see with two eyes yep and this idea of two-eyed seeing is that through one eye, you're looking at the world through an indigenous worldview or one that honors traditional ecological knowledge. Yeah. And then the other lens, you're looking at it through a scientific worldview, a more Western worldview where uh, Western science is how you're seeing and perceiving things and then bringing them together to the benefit of both. Yeah. That's kind of the main idea that I saw. Yeah. It was, it was definitely interesting later in our own workshop, um, where we had to teach people what we learned <laughs> when we ourselves were still trying know, to figure out was, what we were learning. Man. And thankfully we had great, uh, classmates that really kind of helped us. And it was fun. And I, I know that we have talked about this before about wanting to, kind of continue that workshop and mm-hmm. and maybe having workshops here on on the flathead res or maybe elsewhere wherever people feel like there is a kind of not a need but maybe like a want to understand more um seeing with seeing with two lenses and and how do you really kind of handle that not just even in restoration projects but more or less just in your day-to-day life hmm yeah yeah and the uh I think that was probably the simultaneously the hardest part about it too was working with so many different people. Mm-hmm. Although we had, we we're like minded individuals, we all come from super different backgrounds, and uh, most of the other people weren't raised with an indigenous worldview, but mm-hmm. maybe learned to understand and respect it and honor it later in life. So that was the huge benefit, but also the huge challenge that we had to do so i mean we sat around for hours and hours just trying to figure out what we were (laughs) actually going to do and eventually though it all came together and it went really well yeah it went really well i think we had a lot of people that actually came and i think we had over 30 people um that listened to us and it was definitely an interesting process i don't think i've ever been from the start where I had to like come up with an idea because I was in charge of the activity and coming up with the activity in itself was hard. And then everyone else had little pieces that they had to combine. And when we had done our run through, they had made the comment that we had no, there was no string that was keeping everything together. Yeah. We were all just kind of doing (laughs) our own little presentations. And so Learning how to make sure that every single part, even if you're working with someone else or if someone else has a different part, that you still have to keep this string throughout this whole entire thing. And it was a good lesson to learn. I'm glad we did it. I want to do it again. Mm -hmm. That reminds me, uh, Kaya and I agreed kind of tentatively through email that we want to do a session at ACES 
basically replicating that process. Okay. So we're going to, I need to get on that probably this weekend yeah. um, is to apply for that session. We need to submit a session proposal, but also either way, I'm going to go and I'm going to be talking about it. Yeah. So if you are listening and you do make it to the American Indian Science and Engineering Society National Conference in Oklahoma this oh, year. Oklahoma City, yeah. Yeah. There, there will very likely be a session on knowledge integration, specifically bringing scientific ecological knowledge and Western, I mean, sorry, and traditional ecological knowledge yeah. together into a two-eyed seeing type of a methodology. Yeah. And it's so much, it's so much fun and it's really eye-opening to everybody involved because we're all kind of sharing one of the most fundamental aspects of our perception of reality in a lot of ways and and also challenging it. So that's uh, a really awesome thing, I think, that we did that and that now we all kind of almost have like a blueprint that we can go mm-hmm. and bring into these other inter- interactions with these communities. And eventually I would like to get back together with the original group of people and and I'll do it again. Maybe next spring, it, hopefully everybody will be around. I'm pretty sure everyone is. And we can do it again and have it be like even more epic. And yeah. uh, <laughs> We'll know what we want to do and yeah. have more time. Mm-hmm. We We ran out of time and we need more time. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us today. This was a bit of a shorter episode, but if you want to download any of our episodes, they're all available on places like Stitcher and iTunes and Google Play. And you can also find them at our website at www.ndnscienceshow.wordpress.com or on social media, right? Yeah. So we are on still not on Twitter. Maybe going to get on Twitter here within the next week. We will see. Um, But we are on Instagram and Facebook. So we are at NDN Science Show. And you, I think that's that's it. Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah. And eventually we'll be be able to get, have have a kind of a more accessible online presence and we're still struggling struggling with the technicalities so if you hear little twangs and yeah pings and pongs here and there it's because we accidentally bumped our really shitty uh <laughs> boom arms for our mics and we don't have any uh of those really nice what are those things called those stabilizer things for the microphone oh, so you don't yeah. hear all that stuff but we're working on it and um We've alluded to this in the past that we're just broke grad students and we all this is coming out of our own pocket. So if anybody wants to support our show, we welcome any support, whether it's financial or even just a review on Mm -hmm. um, iTunes or something that all of it helps. Mm -hmm. So thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time on the Indian Science Show. Bye.